good. Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I already know this is going to be fun. You guys are awesome. I see y'all dancing and celebrating this morning. So it is a great morning to celebrate. We are going to have a whole lot of fun. So this morning we're going to kind of go into, it's a pretty simple gospel message this morning. Sometimes we like to take different things and trace them down through the Bible. But this morning we're just going to do a, a good old gospel teaching, which I'm super excited about. And it's all pushing us forward in this thing we launched last week, which was Drive to Five. As Mark came up and talked about this, we're so excited about this push. And the whole purpose of this, this push of Drive to Five is to see relationships developed. And we, we want to see this happening through us just accomplishing what God calls us to by sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And it's all about setting some goals and giving us some targets. And so in the next 18 months, as Mark said, we're wanting to reach 50 on Wednesday, which we're almost already there, right? So that's awesome. Uh, we want to reach 150 at our youth program called REACH, which is middle and high schoolers. A little plug for that. That's Tuesday night at 630. Yeah. Awesome place to be. Yeah, awesome place to be. And then Sunday morning to reach 500 between the two services. And I already have a, a, little, a little thing going on with the youth right now that I said a, a while back, and we are dangerously close to reaching it is that when we get 60 kids, I'm going to shave my head, which I'm not excited about at all, I'll be honest with you guys. So if I, if I show up bald-headed, you know that you can celebrate, but you can also celebrate my pain that I had to do it. But I'm super excited about, about growth and about reaching uh, the community and these kids. And, and I can promise you this, the next couple of months is, is going to be awesome. God is, is moving. This is a great place to be, and, and I'm excited about what's going on here. So my prayer is that we get busy. We get busy sharing the love of Christ. We get busy inviting people to come and celebrate with us. And one of the questions that we get asked when we talk about goals and, and moving forward is how are we going to reach them? How are we going to, to get there? How are we going to grow? How are we going to fill this place up? And I think the answer is fairly simple. Uh, a lot of times we, we make things so complicated and hard, but I think the answer is very simple. And that's that it's all going to happen and start and end through relationships, 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 relationships. And with goals that are big, I, I believe, and I, I've tried to apply this to my life, when you have a big goal, you start small, right? You start at square one, and, and, and then you build up, and you, you honor what God's put in front of you. You honor the one, and then before you know it, you reach the, the big goal. The chocolate is good. I can see that. <laughs> uh, but, that but that's what I believe, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about this morning. So we're going to have some fun now that I have confused everybody. So, we're diving right in. So, a lawyer walks up to Jesus. A lawyer walks up to Jesus, and if you're a first-time guest here, you're like, great, pastor's starting off with a joke, like strike one, it's a pretty bad joke, strike two, like a dad joke, you know, it's going down the wrong path. But this isn't an opening to a joke. This is actually one of the most famous stories that Jesus told as he walked the earth. And it comes from Luke chapter 10, starting around verse 25. But this lawyer is, is a guy who's skilled at leveraging loopholes of the law for his gain. And so he approached this famous teacher, because that's what they thought Jesus was at this time. He was just some famous teacher who was traveling around. Everybody had heard of Jesus. They probably wouldn't have believed that he was the son of God at this point, or if you know, they, they had heard that, then they would have tried to disprove it. And so he's walking up to this famous teacher, and he's going to trap him in this theological quagmire of sorts. And I, I get, I get kind of tickled because people are always trying to trip Jesus up. Like, why would you do that, right? Why are you going to try 
to trip up the Son of God. Good luck. Like, go for it. Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. But this lawyer, right, he thinks he might as well take a shot. Big man on campus. He's going to do it. He's going to trip Jesus up. He's going to catch him off guard. And I can picture this happen. You know, he's walking up to Jesus. He's hanging out with his religious posse. Everybody's chilling, and he, he struts over to Jesus. He, he puffs his chest out, right? You know, he's going to show Jesus, and the group of people are like, Oh my, is he going to do it? Like, no, uh he's going to ask that question. You've all been there when your friend asks the question that no one else will ask. That's what's happening here. He's going to ask a question. He's going to ask that question to Jesus. And so he walks over there and he says this. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we're going to pause there just for a second. How many of you have ever been challenged before? Have you ever been challenged how much fun is it to be challenged? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not a lot of fun. I'm not in that boat. I, I'm not normally very keen on being challenged. And it happens all the time in our lives. It happens as, as a pastor. We get, we get challenged quite a bit. People will walk up to you and they'll be like, so, do you know what Lamentations 1-4 says? And you're like, why, yes, I know what Lamentations 1-4 sa- says. I, I've memorized all 1,189 chapters of the Bible. I got it. And you're like, no, no, I don't know what, but why don't you refresh my memory? Or, or someone will walk up to you and be like, so, what's your favorite version of the Bible? You know that's a trap. Like, you do right off the bat. You know that it's a trap, and, and, and you're moving in that direction. Uh, but but, but <laughs> it is never much fun to be caught in in a trick or in a trap, but we use it, right? We do. I've been guilty of using this before, using tricks and traps to getting people to do what I want them to do, which is something that I should be ashamed of, but as a little kid, we would do this quite a bit, my brothers and I. We would trick each other into getting our way, and I remember growing up with my older brother, and we'd be playing video games, or, or should I say he would be playing video games with his friends, and I'm a bit younger than him, And so it's obviously not cool for me to hang out with the older kids, but I want to. Like, I I had a desperate desire to hang out with them. And so as the younger brother in the situation, I can't quite figure out why he doesn't want to hang out with me. Like, I'm cool, I'm awesome, I'm a lot of fun. Like, I'm going through (laughs) these things in my head as this little kid, thinking, why don't the big kids, why don't they want to hang out with me? Like, I'm pretty fun, I think. And yet they didn't. And so I had a trick that would get them to hang out with me. And this little sneaky trick that I had is called competition, right? This is a great trick. You can take this one for free. If you have any teenage boys, competition is a way to get them to do what you want them to do. And so I would use this trick. Hey, Jeremy, I bet there is no way possible that you could ever beat me in Mario Kart. No way. No way possible. There's no way you could beat me in NBA Jam. And he'd be like, what about last time? That was a fluke. It's never going to happen again. You're never going to beat me. And all of them would be like, oh, he's challenging in you. You know, he, he's calling you out. And so I kid you not, almost every time before you know it, I was playing video games with the big kids. Like every, <laughs> every time. Competition worked as, as, as a kid. My situation, though, and, and most of our situations are probably a little different than Jesus' situation. Because you see, in Jesus' situation, this isn't some sort of silly challenge. But rather, this lawyer that's walking up to Jesus, he wants to catch Jesus off guard. He wants to make him stumble. He wants to disprove everything that Jesus had been saying. This was a challenge to a valid- his validity. 
This was a challenge to who Jesus claimed to be, and that's a pretty big deal, unlike my little situation. Jesus' situation is a big deal. And so Jesus is a little more skilled than, than I am, obviously, and so Jesus uses a different tactic that I think is awesome. Jesus is awesome. He reverses the question, and he puts the lawyer of all people on stand, and I love that. So we're going to jump in this morning, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, and we're going to stay there the entire time, so you can open up, you can leave it there, and, and we'll pause here and there to, to kind of uh, expand, but you can stay in Luke chapter 10. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? What is written in the law, how do you read it? You see, the lawyer is unaccustomed to being tried, right? He's the one who puts everybody else on stand. He's the one who asks the question. But Jesus knows this, and Jesus is going to kind of trip this guy up because he's trying to trick Jesus up. And so Jesus says, no, wait a second. What do you think? What do you think? How, how, how do you read the law that you know so well? And I can imagine the lawyer starting to fumble through. He's like, oh, I didn't expect this, this one to happen. Now I have to answer. And as the lawyer's kind of stumbling through, he gives this answer. But it's not just any answer. If you know something about the, the law, and, and I did a little studying on this, the answer he gave was an answer that any first-year kid, little kid, would have given in their first year synagogue. It was like going back to the most basic of basics of basic answer. It was one of the first things that they would have learned. And he answers this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I got to figure this, this studied lawyer who, who, if anybody's ever written or read the written law, uh, it's so complicated that you can't understand it. I got to imagine that this lawyer's like, man, I just gave a first grader answer to the most famous teacher of my time. Like, what is he going to think? He's going to think I'm silly. But I love how Jesus answered. Jesus responds, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. See, I love the simplicity of Jesus and his message. He doesn't make it complicated like the lawyers and the Pharisees wanted it to be. He makes it so simple. You don't have to jump through a thousand hoops to have a relationship with Jesus. It's as simple as what Jesus just told, or the, the answer this lawyer just gave. Jesus just responds, basically, trial over, good job, you go and do this. Like, hang out, do this, this is what you should do. But the lawyer pipes up. I can see it, may it please the court, I have, I have one more question. Scripture says, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? You see, he doesn't want to let Jesus off the hook. Certainly, it can't be that easy. Certainly, this little answer that the lawyer gave, it cannot be that simple. And I think this is where it gets really fun for Jesus. And this is where the lawyer probably wishes that he would have kept his mouth shut. Like of all times, this is the one time to keep your mouth shut. You just gave an, an, a correct answer to Jesus when you challenged him, like, not going to happen again. And now you're challenging Jesus within 30 seconds again on, on something else. Probably not the best time to open your mouth. But I'm so glad this lawyer did because we get an amazing parable, an amazing story that challenges us to the core, and I hope and pray it challenges you today. 
Jesus is about to get really real with this man. And who is my neighbor? See, I like to imagine this scene. When I read God's word, I'm like a child at heart. I like to imagine it. I like to paint the picture. I like to like, imagine that I'm in the time frame that they were. And so I do this when I'm, when I'm reading this, and I can see Jesus smiling. And I can just see Jesus saying, okay, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a man left for dead by robbers. And I can see the lawyer rolling his eyes thinking, another one of Jesus' stories. Like he's always answering in these silly stories, like another story. But here we go. And so Jesus says this. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Pretty amazing story. But we need to stop here before the big question that Jesus asked. And the questions are awesome that Jesus asked. And we need to take a look at this story and why it's so important. You need to understand a few things, I think, to feel the full impact of this story. Because what we don't get from our day and age is that we're displaced from their culture, right? Our culture is a little different from the culture that, that Jesus lived in. And so we may not understand the, the, the significance of the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan and why this story is such a big deal. And that's why we need to dive in a little bit to the context of this story to understand it. And so the first man was a, a religious man, right? He's a priest. And most likely, this hasn't changed. If you're a priest or you're a pastor, uh, a lot of times the community would, would look up to them. So this, this is an important man. Most likely, he would have been part of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, and, and they were highly respected, but, but it doesn't matter. He would have been upheld in the eyes of the community. And so he had a lot of power. They were essentially sharing power with the Roman government of the time. And so this priest just passes over the half-dead man. It doesn't give us a, a real good explanation of why he would do that, but he, he passed over this half-dead man and just goes on his way. And, and, and that leaves us thinking, well, there had to be a good reason, right? There had to be a, a, at least some logical reason why the priest would pass him over. And, and the lawyer of the day probably would have had a, an idea in his mind about why the priest would have uh, passed him over. You know, what's going on here? Why in the world would a man of this nature pass over a half-dead man? It doesn't seem like it fits the, the character of a priest. So I did a little research on why this may be. And, and doing some research and, and studying the law a little bit, one thing I do know that if you touched a corpse in that day and age as a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, that you'd be unclean for seven days. That's a long time. You'd be unclean for, for seven days. You had to go through this elaborate ritual of cleansing uh, before you could serve again. You can find this in the Old Testament in Numbers and Ezekiel. You can check it out. But this would have rendered this priest virtually useless for an entire week. It left the temple short-staffed. 
it would have put uh, the, the town or the, the community in a tough and frustrating position, and it would have put the, the priest in a tough position. The priest would have had no way of knowing if the, the victim there on the ground was alive or dead, and, and checking could render him unclean. And so perhaps for this reason, um, and, and the selfishness inside of him, not wanting to put himself in that circumstance, he, he fell victim to the bystander effect and went on his way. And you could know the whole audience as Jesus was talking would have been trying to figure out why the priest would have done such a thing. But for whatever reason, whatever selfish motives or not selfish motives, the, the priest chooses to pass by this half-dead man. And next we have a, a Levite. And a Levite would have represented a, a normal middle-class man. Everybody would have related to this man in the story as they heard Jesus talking. They could have pictured themselves as this Levite man. And the Levite had roles in the temple, but they were more of the everyday task. And, and there were plenty hands on deck for these tasks, so it wouldn't have been a big deal for him to be unclean if it turned out the man was dead. He would have been your average guy. Maybe it was fear that stopped him. You've seen in the movies where there's like a half-dead man, and, and the, the person goes up to help him, and the robbers jump out, and it's all a hoax, and it could have been fear. But for whatever reason, this Levite, this respectable man, bypasses the half-dead man on the road. And finally, it gets really fun because we get to the Samaritan. And the same is true for the Samaritan. All these things, all the reasonings for not stopping, it could be the same for the Samaritan. But finally, the Samaritan shows up. And at the word Samaritan, the lawyer and everybody else in the vicinity would have cringed, would have totally cringed when Jesus said that word. It would have silenced the room instantly everyone would have gone quiet because Samaritans and Jews, and hear me loud and clear, they despised each other. They hated each other. The two groups would have wished each other dead. They didn't even want to come in contact. They didn't even want to visibly see each other. That's how much they hated one another. They avoided each other at all costs. This is racism at its worst. Racism didn't start in the 21st century. Listen, racism's been here forever. This is racism at its worst. They avoided each other at all costs. And it's the Samaritan who knelt down and helped the man out. He took care of him. He took his time, his safety, his reputation, and even his own money, and I say even his own money because of all those things, I think that's the one we struggle with the most in our society. He laid it all on the line to help out this man that he didn't know that the priest, that the Levite passed by. Can you imagine the hatred building up in the people around Jesus in this moment? The hatred building up in this lawyer as Jesus selects of all people Jesus selects a Samaritan to be the hero of the day? Are you kidding me, Jesus? That'd be like you listening to a person who you respect, and they choose your worst enemy, even though you're not supposed to have a worst enemy. What's another lesson for another day? He chooses your worst enemy to be the hero of the day, the one who does the, the right thing. And not only does he choose him to be the hero of the day, he chooses him to be the hero over your role models, over the ones you respect, over the ones you look up to, over the man that you see yourself as. Jesus chooses the worst of the worst in their minds 
to be the hero of the day. It's awesome, and it's crazy, but it gets even more crazy because Jesus asks a question, and oh, do Jesus' questions sometimes catch us off guard. It's the questions that always dive straight into our heart. It's the questions that stir us up, and it's the question on this day that would have sent the whole room into silence if, it, if they weren't already. He says this. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Again, shifting to putting the lawyer on trial. And this one's hard. I can imagine the lawyer is sitting there with a million things going through his head. He's thinking, everybody in the room's watching me. Everybody around is looking to me. And now Jesus is putting me on trial again. And now the answer, the answer, the one who is the neighbor is the one in the room that everybody hates. And everybody wants to shoot the messenger. And so I can imagine the, the lawyer is just nervous inside as he's getting asked this question. And so the lawyer sheepishly responds. And listen to his response. I love this. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He couldn't even put it out there. It was too much of a dirty word. It goes against everything he knew. And yet he was the neighbor. And then Jesus doesn't make a big fuss. Jesus just simply says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. You want me to be like a Samaritan, Jesus? Go and do likewise. Wow, I love it. You see, Jesus paints a picture of what compassion truly looks like. Compassion where we risk our personal safety. That Samaritan very well could have been mugged as he went to help this half-dead man, but he didn't care because there was a half-dead man on the ground who needed help. He didn't know him, but he had compassion. And so he was going to risk it all. Could have risked his reputation. Most likely, as this Samaritan was traveling through this area, the man on the, the ground would have probably been a Jewish man. It would have been odd for the Samaritan to be traveling where he was. And a Samaritan wasn't supposed to be seen with a Jewish person. He risked his reputation. He was traveling to somewhere, right? He was probably on a time frame. He probably had a busy schedule, and yet he took time out of his day. And not only that, he took him to an innkeeper. He put him on his own donkey. He treated him with, with, with oils and perfumes and wines, which would have cost him a fortune as is. And then he put him up in an inn, and he gave the man money. And he said, when I return, I'll pay for whatever it costs. You just take care of this man. Think of the compassion that Jesus is painting a picture of. Would you do that for someone you had no idea about? Think of the compassion. And Jesus is painting this picture of compassion. Where we take ourselves out of the picture, unlike the priest or the Levite, but like the Samaritan, we go where Jesus calls us to go no matter what it cost us. You see, the common thought held by churchgoers in that day, and, and, and it's probably not a lot different than, than churchgoers in our day and age in many places, but the idea was that you love God, and you love those who love God. You love God, and you love those who love God, which is, is true, you do. You love God, you love those who love God. But you see, Jesus took it a step further. 
And Jesus challenged the commonly held belief by saying, real compassion, real love is shown by people who love God by loving those far from God, loving the least of these. Compassion, where you cross the streets of your prejudice to help other people. Compassion, where you cross the streets of your comfort zone, where you step outside of your own wants and your needs, and you do the thing that makes you most uncomfortable to love like Jesus loves us. You step outside, you cross, you, you inconvenience yourself to love because that's what Jesus did for us. You serve those least deserving. You serve those who Jesus puts in front of you. And so I have a few questions for you this morning. And all the questions, they're hard. I want you to ask yourself this morning, what roads are hardest for me to cross to help those in need? Ask you right now, what roads are hardest for you to cross to help those in need? Is it your time? Is it your time? Is, are you so busy? You're putting everything else before helping those in need. Is it your money? Are you afraid to let go of your money? It's all his to help those in need. Is it your reputation? I can't be seen with those people. They're not good enough. Yeah, neither are we. But Jesus made us that way. Made us good enough. Is it your safety? Is it your safety? Man, God may be asking you to go into a place that may not be the safest to share the love of Jesus Christ. What roads this morning are hardest for you to cross to help those in need? The next question I want to ask you this morning is this, and it gets even harder. What people do you feel would be hardest for you to serve? What people do you feel would be hardest for you to serve? And maybe, just maybe, those are the ones that you need to get busy sharing compassion and love to step out of your comfort zone and to love even your enemies. That's what Jesus is asking us to to do. And in this moment right now, I, I hope and I pray that you're uncomfortable. I hope sitting here this morning, this makes you squirm a little bit. And I know that's not something the pastor normally says as you're sitting in church on Sunday morning, but I hope and pray you're uncomfortable. I hope this makes you squirm a bit because the lawyer and the audience that day, as Jesus told this story, would have squirmed. This would have made them completely uncomfortable. This would have challenged them. And so I hope today you're challenged. I hope the question of who's the hardest to serve rings out in your mind. I hope this follows you home, and I hope this keeps you up at night if it's going to push you to go where Jesus calls you to go. Because last time I checked, guys and girls, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And there are people left and right who are laying on the ground, who are broken, who are half dead, who are being passed by, not by the unchristian, but by us. Every moment, every day, every opportunity, Me included, I'm not just pointing the finger at you, but we pass by the man on the ground, the woman on the ground. Because of our time, because of our money, because of our reputation, because of our selfishness. What roads do you need to cross to serve the least of these? 
Who are you struggling to serve? And maybe, just maybe, that's where you need to start. How do we reach our goals? How do we drive the five? It starts with one. It starts with one person. It starts with compassion. It starts with love. And you can hold your finger up and say, it starts with me. That's how we reach Drive to Five. That's how we go out into this community and we tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. And then we invite them to come and celebrate with us. And we see this body, this family, this group grow from from 500 to 1,000, from 1,000 to 2,000, from 2,000 to 20,000. Because the love of Jesus cannot be stopped when we set it free in the community. But it starts with one. And I don't want anyone to walk out of here today who doesn't believe that it starts with you. You don't get a pass. I don't get a pass. It is our calling. It is our mission. I don't care what your ministry is. I don't care what your job is. You are called to go into this community and to share the love of Jesus. No passes. No bars. No holds. It is our responsibility. And so that's my challenge. We drive to five with relationships. It starts with one. It starts with compassion. And it starts with you. Man, and if you have Jesus today, then you have the ability to make a difference. You've been given the skills. You've been given the love. You've been given the tools. You've been given the Holy Spirit necessary to do all things that God asks us to do. And so I pray we do it. And I pray we step up. And I pray we go out. You see, I love this parable for so many reasons. Because it touches, I think, all hearts. It touches Christian hearts, and I think it touches those who are far from Christ. Because maybe you walked in here today, and you are far from Christ. And you don't feel like the Levite or the priest, and you don't even feel like the robbers. You feel like the half-dead man on the ground, or the half-dead woman on the ground. And you just feel like you've been bypassed. You feel like you're not loved. You feel like you're broken. You feel like you are unlovable because every time you think things are going to start to change, people just pass you by. Pass you by. And so maybe you feel empty today. And maybe you feel like you've hit rock bottom. But I want you to know today, I want you to know that every single day you live, that you have a Savior who, like the Samaritan, he kneels down. He gets on his hands and knees and he scoops you up. And he mends you and he heals the wounds. He washes the sins away and he doesn't care how bad or broken you are. He loves you the way you are. And he loves you right where you're at. And he looks at you and when no one else will say it, he looks at you and he says, You're my masterpiece and you're perfect. I created you in my image and I love you. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you, each and every one of us, if you don't have a relationship. He is the Son of God. He did come to this earth, and He died for you, not when you were a good person, but when you were broken and you were a sinner and you were as ugly as the dirt. And He looks at you and He says, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Let's let's wash that sin away. Let's wash that darkness away. Let's wash that dirt away. You are beautiful gave his life for you. He stretched his arm out on the cross for you. And he did it because he loves you. And all he asks for in return is that you invite him into your heart. That you believe. 
He just wants a loving relationship with you. And so my prayer today is that if that's you, that you would bow your heads in this moment and you would say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I I believe that you're the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you came and you died for me. And yeah, I'm broken and I'm a sinner and I'm dirty, but I believe you can make me whole. And so come into my heart. And I promise you from that moment, you're made clean and you're made whole and your life is changed. And my prayer, if if that's you, if that's you, you will not leave today without praying, without coming and talking to me so I can help guide you in the next steps. Walk hand in hand. We're a family. And we want to celebrate with you. But Jesus is here. He's waiting. He's kneeling at your side. And he's ready to make you whole. But you have to let him in. Life change is my prayer for all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike today, that we go out it starts with us. It starts with one. It starts with love. It starts with compassion. And it starts with me and you. Let's drop to five. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are that loving Savior who kneels down beside the broken, the downtrodden, the people who feel like the least of these. And you pick us up and you make us whole. Father, I I know there's so many people out in our community, out in our world today, who feel like that half-dead person on the ground. And all they need is just for one of us, just one of us to stop by, to kneel down and to pick them up. And Father, you've given us the ability to do that as as Christians, as, as followers of you. You've equipped us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've shown us a love that's uncomprehendable. And so it's time for us to go and do the same for every person that you put in our path. And so I pray that we overcome, Lord, our selfishness, that we cross the roads that are stopping us, whether it's our reputation or our money or our time or our safety. We'll say, you know what, God, we, we don't care anymore. We trust you. I trust you with my time, my money, my reputation, and my safety. I'm in your hands, and I'm going. I'm going, God. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me from doing what you called me to do. And we go out, and we see life change. We see the community change. We see the next town over change. And we see this world change by your church, by your people. That nothing will stop us. Inspire us. Encourage us. And send us out with zeal and a fire and a passion to love the way that you've loved us. And my final prayer is that if there's someone here today who hasn't invited you into their heart, that today will be the day where they let you scoop them up, bring them healing. They invite you into their heart. And life change happens. And they become part of changing this world for your glory. Lord, we love you. We give you the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray.